Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Build Your Network, episode 97. Hi, this is Christina Wise, author of Falling for Money. And if you want your money to work for you, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. You have the ambition, the knowledge, and the experience, but still lack those relationships necessary for achieving true success. Welcome to Build Your Network, your guide to growing your inner circle, increasing your influence, and assisting others in reaching their goals. This is networking the way it should be, brought to you by your host, Travis Chappell. What is up and welcome to the one and only show that brings you tips and tricks on networking from the best experts around three days a week. Although they may not all be in the same field, every guest that comes on the show has one very important thing in common. They believe, as I do, that building relationships is crucial to achieving success in life. I cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest, but first, I'm sure you've heard me and my guests talk a lot about the importance of masterminds. I know I personally would not be anywhere near where I am today without spending tens of thousands of dollars investing into building relationships in a mastermind setting. So on that, I am opening up a second round of my mastermind, Build Your Network Alpha in order to build relationships with some of you guys out there. If this is something that interests you, please head over to buildyournetwork.co slash alpha to submit an application and hop on the phone with me to chat about it. And now let's go ahead and chat with today's guest, Christina Wise. Christina is a real estate mogul, millionaire coach, and creator of several multi-million dollar businesses, including Good Life Luxury, The Paperless Agent, and most recently, Wealthy Wealthy. She is also an international speaker and the award-winning author of the Amazon bestseller, Falling for Money, a romance novel for your bank account. Named one of the 100 most influential real estate leaders in the country, she has been featured in USA Today, as well as by Apple, Contactually, and Evernote for her career 
creative leadership with emerging technologies. Christina, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Really excited to have you. Why don't you go ahead and expound on that intro just a tad and then tell us what you're most excited about right now. Oh man, I could go on on and on why I'm so excited. I'm just so excited about this year. I'm excited about what's coming next. My next thing that's really on the docket's my second book. So I'm really excited about spreading the word about my first book that's been out for a few years now that's called Falling for Money that you just referenced. So it's a really great starting point for where I'm going to take my audience and learning about money and love and money and relationships in book two. So anybody that wants to read book one, they can just go to Falling for money.com. And I have the digital version for free download. Again, I want everybody to read that. So as we go in and talk about money and relationship, which is the next iteration of my work, that there'll be some background there. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. And for everybody listening to, I just want to apologize for my voice. I've been a little sick recently. So uh, bear with me as we get through this. Uh, Christina has already been briefed. So she's on the up and up. So Christina, I'm really, I'm interested to hear how you got into the real estate business and how exactly that whole ride, that the rise up to the top was for you. Oh, well, real estate was really in my blood. My parents were in real estate. And I remember from a young age, my father, I said, dad, what is real estate? I was probably five or six at the time. Mm -hmm. And he said, okay, I will show you real estate. And we went out and he, we drove in his old pickup truck and we drove out of town a little ways. And we stood on this piece of dirt. that's just the vacant land. And he put my hand in the dirt and he rubbed it in my hand and he said, honey, this is real estate. It's dirt. When you own it, it can't be taken away. And you raise your life, you raise your family. It's something you can be proud of and it's something that you can pass along. So he really just had this beautiful appreciation for dirt, for the true real estate, for ownership, for pride of ownership, for you know the so many things that, that dirt could stand for, a place where you raise your family, so on and so forth. So really sort of, a, I'd say more of an old school and very foundational and I think very deep and rugged way to think of real estate. Yeah. So that was already in my blood. And then once I went to college, and try to figure out what I was going to do for my life. I fell into real estate. It's a part-time job way to make money and then realized like, oh, that was my calling and my passion. And I fell in love with real estate, with not just buying and selling houses, which is where we normally think of it, especially today is more this transactional, but real appreciation for real estate, for real estate as homes, real estate as investments, real estate as way to, you know, where we place our businesses, where we place our families, the, the certainly the transactional component but the narrative, the negotiation, the relationships, my best friendships came out of working with clients and helping take care of their concerns, being invited into people's families and building trust that they trusted me with this really important part of their life. So it was just so much bigger than this transactional, hey, I'm going to buy or sell a home. It's like, no, we invite you into our family and, and trust you to help us make really good decisions. And and then real estate for me became a personal passion outside of just working with my clients and helping them. Then I realized like, oh, real estate's such a big part and can be such a big part and such a joyful part of, of building wealth and net worth. Again, you something. To me, it was different than stocks or some things that's more elusive, like the stock market. When I got into real estate investing, I could go by. Number one, it was again about relationships, taking care of my tenants and putting, you know, allow it as a place for a roof over their head. And now they get to continue their journey and something that I've contributed to and, and be able to improve the property, be able to touch the dirt, be able to drive by and have some pride, like, yeah, I own that. And, and the leverage piece. And so real estate, there's just so many attributes of real estate that are really profound that again, started as a career as a way to make money and then turned into a way 
to invest and to build net worth and long-term future cash flow and residual income, which ultimately took me into this passion to really teach people about money and how money works. And certainly real estate is still a key component in that journey, in that narrative, and in that what I teach now. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah. So let's go back and look at a timeline here. So you started in real estate when you were in college as an agent, right? How long did it take you to see success as an agent? And then how long after that did it take you to start investing back into real estate yourself? Well, I started after college, so I didn't start in college. I wish I would have started in college, but it certainly was after. But to answer your question, it took me about three years to really get to the place where I was, I was supporting myself and supporting my family. And then, but after the three year mark, I, I hit top pretty quickly because when you have a true love and passion of it, when it's your full time career, and when you know, most people look at real estate, many people that get into real estate think, oh, it's a hobby. I like houses. I like people. I can do this part time. I can do it on the side. And, and it's pretty difficult to do it that way. But when it becomes your career, when it becomes your profession, then really being good at it takes a little time. But once you do that, you can succeed in real estate. Anybody could succeed in real estate. It's just most people don't approach it that way. So it took me a few years, but by that time I'd certainly was, would be called, you know, that's 20 years ago, but a top producer and was very well known and started to build my identity. But it wasn't until probably many years into that, that I learned because I was the, really the sole provider of my family, was, a, was the main breadwinner. And then all of a sudden I got divorced and I was a single mom and real estate's hundred percent commission. So as I was going through a divorce, I wasn't working, I was really fighting, you know, going through this divorce process and 
didn't realize because I'd abdicated my money to who I was married to at the time that we'd accumulate a lot of credit card debt that I wasn't even aware of, but because we're married, name was attached to it. And so, you know, and then there were some tax liens and some pretty nasty stuff when it came to my financial situation. So then it was sort of in my early mid thirties that I was really destitute. I grew up poor and really worked so hard to get out of that poverty one mindset. And then two, just being so limited by not having, or just by having very low income. So I'd solved that problem. But what I learned going through that situation and really reaching this place of real existential despair and crisis. And I was afraid, I, I mean, I couldn't pay my bills. I couldn't, all of a sudden I was making all this money and I was known as this number one agent in Austin, Texas, and everybody knew who I was and I was so successful. Yet now I'm in a situation and I couldn't pay my electricity. I had to have friends that would bring towels and things over to the new little place that, you know, the little one side of a duplex I'm moving out of the suburbs and the big, you know, out of the right. big, So I just realized I just had this aha moment of like, oh, wow, you can earn high incomes and still be broke Mm -hmm. and you can be, you know, the top, you know, top success icon and not have any money. And so I really learned from that experience that the game of money is not about how much money you make. The game of money is really how much money you keep. And Mm -hmm. it's really simple. I mean, people always say, okay, what's the secret to getting wealthy? And I said, well, here it's so simple. The simple answer is you spend less than you make. What's difficult is nobody wants to spend less than they make because we feel entitled to the lifestyle. So we eat up our entire paycheck and payments because our payments to impress everybody else through the payment so we can have the right house. So we over we get too much payment from the bank, the payment to the car, the one car, the two car. So we don't get the car we can necessarily afford. We get the car that we want. The payments by putting things on their credit card and all of a sudden we have these minimum payments because we've spent more than we earn. So ultimately people eat up their entire paycheck with payments. And so there never is that ability to spend less than we make, which is where you get rich. We always get rich on the differential between what we spend and what we make. And then the bigger that differential, the bigger the percentage difference between what we spend and make is what we invest. And the bigger that number is, the bigger that percentage is, the faster we're going to get to wealth because we're, we're moving more money over to the wealth side of the game board. But when we're spending everything we make with this intention that one day I'll start investing and I'll start saving and I'll start putting money away in one way or another in one form or fashion. I'll do that someday. I'll do that when I earn more money. I'll do that when I get married. I'll do that when the kids are a little bit older. I'll do that when, I'll do that when, I'll do that when. And all of a sudden you wake up and you're 40 years old, sometimes 50 years old. And you're like, holy sh**. I mean, I've never started that investing thing. And the longer we wait, the more we're putting off the whole game of moving money from working income to investing. So at some point in the future, we can live off our residual income from our assets, that passive income is flowing off our assets so that we don't have to work to get a paycheck. Our assets work to the paycheck. And that's the entire game, but it's never taught to us, even though it's that easy. And then once we learn that, then it's a lifestyle game. Like everything's a lifestyle game. That wouldn't it be nice if we could eat ice cream every single day and be healthy and that could be our lifestyle? Well, the lifestyle eating fast food and ice cream is not the equation for a healthy body and healthy mind and living a long time disease free. That's the lifestyle for being sick and low energy and potentially opening up our bodies for a lot of 
future disease. So, but that's the lifestyle we choose. So everything's a choice. And if we choose a healthy lifestyle, that means we're going to eat healthier food, natural foods. We're going to care about our diet. We're going to put in some more exercise. We're going to monitor our stress. We're going to make sure we're sleeping better. We're going to take some regeneration time and some happy time and have a lot of love in, in our relationships and our life so that we can, that's the lifestyle we want that really produces this sum of the equation on the other end, which is hopefully happiness and joy and fulfillment, a healthy body and, and all those things. But that's the lifestyle and it's a choice. If we choose convenience, if we choose just immediate gratification, if we choose that tastes really good. So I want to eat the ice cream every single day and exercise is inconvenient and it kind of hurts and it's painful. So I'm going to choose not to do that. Everything's, and I'm going to smoke because smoking is very gratifying. Well, those are just choices. It's not that it's good or bad. We just have to be okay with the sum at the end of that equation of that lifestyle equation. So the same is with money is that when we learn that really the whole game is to spend less than you make, And then if we assume that to be true, and the more that difference we can invest, the sooner we'll get there, which means our residual income can replace our working income, which is kind of, that's what financial freedom is. That's ultimately what everybody's after. They just don't know that's what they're after. But then again, it goes back to that choice you know, to use the metaphor, we can't eat ice cream. To use the metaphor, we can't overspend. We can't buy things we want right now because everybody else has them. The latest iPhone sometimes isn't the best choice. Eating that ice cream maybe just isn't the best choice. It's not that it's bad. It just might not be the best choice. So then it just becomes a choice of how we spend. It has very little to do with earnings, just a choice of how we spend. And then getting very excited about the game of investing so that we can start moving that differential into the other side, which is the place where, like I said, I get excited to help people with real estate investing is one way to start investing to build future passive cash flow. So do you think that it's going to be possible at all for people in the millennial generation to retire without investing? And what I mean by that is without investing as far as like into their own portfolios, because obviously a lot of them will have a 401k or, you know, an IRA or something like that. But uh, it seems like the research that I've been doing recently, it just keeps saying that like, look, you're not going to be able to save your way to retirement anymore. You're going to have to earn your way to retirement by getting your own investments by learning about mutual funds, by learning about investing in real estate. What is your take on that? Well, yeah, it sounds like just a little confusion. So they're absolutely, you cannot save your way to wealth. And the reason why is because the definition of savings is future spending. So the only reason we save, and I, you know, I teach all these concepts. And when I teach money, there's money methodology or models that we can follow so that we can understand how the money game is played, like how, how money works. And then therefore, once you learn how it works, how to play it. But one of those, what you're talking about is absolutely, you cannot save your way to wealth because what savings is, is we put some money aside and let's say, quote unquote, a savings account. And there's different vehicles for savings, but let's just say a traditional, typical bank account that we call a savings account. And that savings account, we put money, meaning when we spend less than we make, we put a certain amount of money in those savings accounts. I teach a very certain, like I said, model for that, that I call your red buckets, your red accounts. And it's your reserves, your education, your dreams buckets, which are three different savings accounts that we put money into that those buckets, those savings accounts are earmarked towards certain spending, but it's future spending. So the reason why we save and the reason why Susie Orman will tell you to have a rainy day bucket or a rainy day account for that matter is because there are times when big expenses pop out of the blue and they would blow your budget based on this month's income. So if you have $5,000 coming in this month and all of a sudden your AC went out and you have a $3,000 expense to replace the AC, 
you'd have to put on your credit card if you don't have savings because you only made $5,000 this month, right? Does that make sense? Yes. So that's what people do. And that's why there's an average, there's an average of $3,000 of unplanned expenses on every single family household every year. So if you don't overspend at all, meaning you're really living within your means, but you're not saving for unplanned expenses, you're going to go 3000 on average for the average American family. You're going to go $3,000 in debt every single year just by not having those rainy day funds, those that reservoir bucket, that was what I call it. So that's what savings is. is so when those on the rainy day, so when that big expense happens, you've got the $3,000 and you have to put on your credit card that on average, there's $3,000 of unplanned expenses every single year. So you can see that math doesn't work and just really working and thinking you're responsible. That's how we find ourselves in financial situations that are undesirable. But then there's other savings. So another place people get in trouble financially is that by not spending less than they make, by not overspend, not spending more than they make, by spending the exact amount they make, for example, is that let's say all of us, they want to go on vacation. Well, if you don't have money saved for vacation, again, we made $5,000 this month, but the vacation is going to cost $1,500 by the time you do plane tickets and Disneyland tickets, then all of a sudden, where's that $1,500 going to come from? Well, it already cost you $5,000 to live. So if it's going to be a $1,500 vacation on top of that, where do we get the $1,500? Well, we put it on a credit card. Oh, we'll pay it off later. Well, the way credit cards work is, for example, if you make $50,000 a year, credit cards let you spend $55,000 that year. You only made 50, but you now spent 55. So, but with the intention to pay that other five back, where's that other $5,000 going to come from? (laughs) That's just it. And that's the credit card. And that's where they trap us just because we have the best of intentions going to pay it off. But what we don't understand is we spent more than we already have. So there's no way to pay it off unless we get a rise in income and use that rise to cover that additional expense plus the interest, or we spend that much less the next year, which that nobody does that. Nobody spends less to make up the difference. Typically our spending just goes up. So that's what savings accounts are, is they're for future spending so that we sweep, we save $50 a month or $100 a month for so many months. Then if we do a $1,500 a month, it's going to be a $1,500 vacation and fifteen months, then we'll spend that money. So versus spending it now, we're spending $50 and put into a savings account so that we can spend that $1,500 when the time comes. And that used to be before there was credit cards, that would be the concept of like layaway for anybody that may have heard of layaway. I mean, that's yeah. an old concept, but it was a responsible way to save that the department stores back in the day, since you couldn't just swipe a credit card, the way they would sell something up front is they would do a layaway. So they at least got that promise of a future purchase. So that's what savings is. And so savings are low interest savings. That's liquid money that you need, but it's low interest. And so you can't build wealth. You can't get rich on low interest accounts, the savings accounts. Plus that money is not invested money. It's savings money that you plan to spend. What investment is. And so when you say, asking a question like earning, you can't save your way to wealth. You have to earn your way to wealth. Well, there's some truth in that, but where it gets confusing and therefore dangerous is what does that mean? And so earning where we get trapped in this thinking is like, oh, the kind of the key to solving all my financial problems is to make more money. And that's the danger because the problem, there's something called Parkinson's law. And what Parkinson's law says is that expenses will always rise to match income. So what happens is let's say you're making $50,000 a year 
and all of a sudden you get a, a huge promotion and now you're making $100,000 a year. Let's say you were living off of $50,000 worth of expenses. Do your expenses stay the same? No. What happens typically is you get the, now you're going to get that big mortgage that you've been wanting to have. Now you've got that fancy BMW payment that, you know, now that you've been putting that you couldn't afford at 50,000. So what happens is this lifestyle I call expense creep is our lifestyle income goes up. So does our lifestyle expenses. So expenses creep up, that expense creep. So that's why you can't earn your way to becoming wealthy because no matter how much money you make, if you make $50,000 a year, if you make $100,000 a year, if you make $250,000 a year, if you spend everything you make, there's no chance to build net worth. There's no chance to get rich. There's no chance to be financially free. There's no chance to build the future residual income, which is what freedom is. All freedom is, financial freedom is the freedom of time. That's what it is. Again, people will throw around the word financial freedom all the time, but they don't know what it means. So financial freedom is just time freedom. And the only way, so if you have to go to work every day, if it's your own business or a job, it doesn't matter. We have to show up to try to earn money to pay our bills, but we have to use our body. Meaning if we're sick and down, we're not making money. You know, even if we want to take a month off and go write a book somewhere. We can't because that's not earning us money right now. So the whole game of getting of wealth of financial freedom is that in that can only be attained through investing, not earning, is that we want to get to the place where we have our portfolio, that whatever's in that portfolio, the asset income, the asset value, it's all about cash flow. That's where conventional, traditional money advice is really failing people because we people are about, oh, I need to build my stock portfolio. I need to build my portfolios. No, no, you need to build your future cash flow. What assets or what financial vehicles are you investing in that are going to throw out the cash flow where we trade? There's some moment in the future where the cash flow from our investments matches or surpasses the amount of money we earn from our work, from our body. And that's when we get all our time back. Then we can choose whether we're going to work today or not, because my assets are covering the cost of all my expenses, whether I work today or not. And that's what financial freedom is, is time freedom. So again, go back. If we're earning $250,000, now when we're at $50,000, we thought, oh, those rich people that make $250,000, if I made that amount of money, oh my God, I'd be so rich. And, but then you get to $250,000 and then you still feel broke because again, you're on that treadmill or that, what I call the hamster wheel of earn, spend, earn, spend, earn, spend, that just like you're spending hundred percent of your $50,000. Now you're spending hundred percent of your $250,000. What are you spending on? On a bunch of payments to live this $250,000 lifestyle that looks just like the Joneses $250,000 lifestyle, meaning you're not saving money. So when that big unexpected unplanned spends goes happens you're they're just more versus average of three thousand dollars is probably gonna be a fifteen thousand dollar unplanned expense because the flood on the five thousand square foot home is much more expensive than the flood on the twenty five hundred square foot home so that's you're gonna put that on your credit card so bigger credit card bills and bigger credit card balances but the payments still will all match up the monthly amount of that $250,000 on that lifestyle. So that's why earnings don't matter. That's where we get confused thinking, oh, the answer to all my money problems is to make more money. No, the answer to all your money problems is to invest more money because that's the only way we can get our time freedom back is when we replace our body income with cash flow income from assets. 
where the where our body's not our ATM, but that our assets are the ATM that covers the cost of living. And so the only way to do that is to spend less than you make. And I like that differential to be as you know much as possible. Kind of conventional wisdom says, oh, save and invest 20%. And it's like, well, what the hell does that mean? Well, number one, it's investings are different. So how can I save and invest? Are they different the same? Is that part of the same 20% or a different percentage? And where does taxes fit in? So it's very confusing. Conventional wisdom are just sort of these platitudes or sort of these cliches almost that we've been told, but we don't know what they mean, meaning we don't know how to apply them. And of application, none of it matters if we're not applying any type of wisdom, conventional wisdom or not. But whatever wisdom, if it's not applicable, we don't understand and we're not applying it. Now, if we're applying conventional financial wisdom, it's still going to get us probably to a place where we don't have enough money because it's flawed, but at least it's better than not following any wisdom, money wisdom whatsoever. But more unconventional finance and where, especially like you said, for millennials, they've got a lot of time and they've got a lot of access to tools and things that those of us in the Gen Xers don't really have that once they learn unconventional finance, because conventional finance is still built on the industrial age. The whole idea of, of retirement comes out of social security and the whole industrial age. Retirement mm-hmm. outdated concept. We right. shouldn't be seeing sure. the word retirement anymore. And millennials can give a flip about retirement because that's so far away. Why would I even care about that now? So it's not about retirement income. It's about financial freedom. And the quicker we get there, the better. Wouldn't we rather have and that's all retirement is, is kind of we kind of slowly but surely build this nest egg and we pull out conventional finance 4% and we live on that, which means our lifestyle when we retire is going to go down by 70% on average. And who wants their lifestyle to go down 70% when they quote unquote retire? It's like, no, it's to spend less than you make, make that differential as big as possible, invest like hell, get really good at it, have fun, get to the place where are starting to, that means you're really holding your lifestyle expenses pretty tight, you know, not within you know, where you're just suffering, but just where you're excited about, yeah, I can live on this amount mm-hmm. and I have a little splurge money, but I'm so excited about investing, get that freedom number as quickly as possible. And you can, people can get freedom number within five years. Why wait 40 years when you could do it in five or 10? And that's, what's not being taught to us. That's not yeah. what's being told to us. So we just think, oh, someday I'll start that investing thing. And 401k and mutual funds and just doing the employer match isn't enough. That's a 40-year game. And if you want to do that game for 40 years, by all means, it may be enough, but I don't think it will be because we're all living longer. And those numbers were built on living somewhere maybe max of 20 years after, you know, you would die 20 years after you started, but now we're living 30, 40 by millennials time to get there. It might be 50 or so, you know, so you need to make sure you have enough money and conventional finance is still based off, you know, retire at 62 and die at 67. So it's, it's outdated. Anyway, all of that to say that at the end of the day, the only way you, the whole idea of investing is trust funds. So wouldn't you like that if Aunt Betty left you, you know, a $5 million trust fund that throws off about 250 a year? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why? Because then you're looking off that 250 a year. You don't never even have to touch the $5 million if you don't want to. You could with some unconventional finance, but that's 250 a year if 5%, just pulling 5% out. So thank you, Aunt Betty. You've given me all the time freedom, all the financial freedom. I can continue to do my podcast if I want to, but I don't have to. But I, now it's all about love and passion because I'm certainly going to still do it to make money, but I don't have to do it to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. So that's what financial freedom is. And that's why we're spending less than we make today. It has nothing to do with earning. The more we earn just means it's easier to have bigger percentages that we can put to the right side, which is the investing game. And what we're doing is we're building our own trust fund. But we, do we want to wait for 40 years for that trust to have enough money in that trust fund? Or we'd rather wait five years. Yeah, five years sounds years. way better. It does sound way better. <laughs> but 
taught to think that way. So that's just it. But that's all we're doing. We're building our own trust fund. So if you have any anybody trust fund and you don't have to worry about investing, by all means, and spend all your money. But most of us aren't that lucky. You know, I didn't win that lotto ticket. So I have- <laughs> I own lotto ticket, right? And I think that most of us do. So, but really, you know, I'll, I'll close here, but money really is as simple. It's just understanding some of these pretty basic principles that could have been taught to us to an early age, but, you know, they're not taught. It's very confusing with the way conventional money advice is thrown out and written about and still to this day. And most of us didn't have good models or mentors from our parents. And then that even added this more, another layer of complexity on it that is our money mindset, meaning we have a lot of psychology around money. When money is just this neutral tool and currency that we use to transact it, we have all these feelings about it. And these feelings are very destructive and they can just, you know, so it's this combination of really sort of a bad psychology combined with lack of knowledge and understanding is a really bad combo to, you know, do anything really let's say, you know, positive and, you know, to really help us hit our financial goals and dreams and intentions. Those, when you have that recipe of bad mentor, you know, maybe bad or less than ideal modeling and mentoring from our parents, then we have money, like a unresolved money psychology that's on the negative side about money. And then we don't understand how money works. That's a recipe for, not getting rich as opposed to the opposite. So we have to work on all three of those. And then the final component, which is my next book that I'm really excited about to kind of circle back to where we started is now when we do all those things individually, now we get married and now we're in a marriage and we think this money thing's just going to work. It hasn't worked itself out in my single life, but now I think it's just going to work itself out in my married life as a couple. Now she has her own modeling when it came to money and she has her own psychology when it comes to money. And she has her probably own lack of knowledge with money. And now I have the same thing. And now we're going to get together and just think that money's going to magically work itself out. We're not going to have any conflict. And, you know, because we love each other and this is so the notion so romantic that because we love each other, money will just work itself out. And it's just like, sorry, no money doesn't work that way. So unless we get really good at talking about it and learning about it and understanding and understanding, okay, what was your background in money? and what was mine and what were your hangups and what are mine and what are our goals with money and what do we need to learn together and you know how are we going to do this money thing and what sort of practices do we have and is there anybody we can model and should we read anything and money is something that should be taught money is instrumental to living a good life and money is a pillar of marriage and to have a sound secure growing marriage money needs to be part of the conversation because money is marriage. Money pays the bills. Money supports our children. Money puts food on the table. Money pays for our vacations. Money pays for our kids' education. So gosh darn it, we better get damn good at it because it's everywhere in the marriage. And that, again, that's the basis of my next book and my next piece of work is Money in the Marriage. Now, there's so many practical tips and takeaways from this conversation, Christina, and I'm super thankful that you came on the show to talk about it. If you want to hear more about her talking about this topic, which you can tell she is very, very knowledgeable on, go pick up a copy of her current book, Falling for Money, and then look out for her next book that's coming out on money and relationships. Christina, I want to ask you this one question right before we get off here, just so we can talk about networking for a second. And that is something that I ask everybody that comes on the show. Do you believe that what you know or who you know is more important? and why? <laughs> oh, that's such a great question. And we'll just use it of how I teach that in applicable in the money context. And so when I teach the game board of investing is that it's understanding what are assets. And so that's a question. I'm not going to give the answer, but everybody listening, I'd say, what is an asset? Like if somebody asked you, what is an asset? What would you say? 
what is it? So anyway, that's the homework for everybody listening. And feel free to email me, christina.wise at wealthywealthy.life if you want to give me your answer. But the thing with networking, for example, networking is about relationships or it should be about relationships. Sometimes the word networking can get confusing, but it's about opportunities to produce relationships and design those relationships in a way that they will turn into trust. And then relationships, when I look at a balance sheet, something I call the balancing sheet is there are different types of assets. There are financial assets that we talked about. It can be real estate, stocks, Bitcoin, whatever might be on that financial asset balance sheet. But other parts of what's on the balance sheet is your marriage is actually part of the balance sheet, actually, because your marriage can be an asset and it can produce a lot of positive outflow that can be you know, used in so many different positive ways. And our business, if we have different businesses, our business is an asset outside of traditional financial assets. Our health, what I teach, when I nearly lost my life in 2013, I really got passionate about health because I understood, oh, I was really good at that money thing, but I sucked at this health thing and it nearly killed me. And guess what? My body is my, actually my number one asset. Because if I don't have my body and I'm sick or dying, I can't enjoy my life and all that money I work so hard for doesn't matter. So I better not sacrifice my health for wealth because that's not getting me to the end goal of love and relationships and happiness and so on and so forth. But when it comes to relationships, relationships are an asset or they could be an asset and they can be on the balance sheet, especially in business. And absolutely to answer your question, my wealth really is the result of my relationships. And sometimes it's been where the relationships are clients. Sometimes it's friendships. Sometimes it's business partnerships. Sometimes it's endorsement. Sometimes it is affiliation. Sometimes it's friendship. It doesn't matter. But relationships that come out of networking, sort of business relationships come out of networking, isn't their assets, meaning their great potential for throwing off passive future potential income. And so yes, networking, relationship building, getting to know people, helping people, being cared about others' concerns, listening, providing really great service, helping others. You know, Part of networking is what can I do for you to help you and make introductions. And it's all, why? Because we're all in the people business and there is no such thing. What's the need for money if it's not about the other people in the life? What's the need for business if it's not about other people in our life? What's the need for products and services if it's not about people needing those products and services? So at the end of the day, all businesses and all life is, is relationships. And so it's our best asset because it's all about love and friendship and good business relationships really is such a positive component of life that again, the ultimate return is bigger than just a financial return. It's that feel good return. And that return that it all goes back to. So absolutely networking is a must in the wealth building game. Awesome. What a great way to bring this conversation into a close then, Christina. Let's move on to the last segment here, which I like to call the random round. Just a few really quick random questions with some quick random answers. You ready? Let's go. This is the random round. What profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt? Oh, I would be in the designer business. I would probably go in, buy houses, design them and flip them. So I love home design. If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? You know, I probably, I just have such an admiration for Martin Luther King Jr. because just to be so driven by passion and willing to buck the system and willing to stand up and even die for 
what he believed was right and just to influence and encourage and help so many people. But he came from a very positive place and so much just spirituality and wisdom and love and care and just really just this, I mean, he died for it, for making the world a better place that we've all benefited that culturally we've evolved as a result of. So I'd just love to sit down and see what inspired him. Like where'd that courage come from, that motivation, everything that he was. How do you like to consume content, books, blogs, podcasts, or videos? I'm an audio person. So I used to be an avid book reader. And now that there's books on Audible and podcasts, I just listen my way like every single day. I mean, I can't get enough. That's the danger. <laughs> listen, when I run, I can listen when I'm in the gym, I can listen in my car. So now I'm maybe too much of a sort of an information junkie since it's so easy. <laughs> yeah, right. Certainly a listener and it's all audio. What's one of the best audio books that you've listened to recently? Oh, you know, the best one I've listened to recently, which I just finished, was The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Hmm. And it's such a good book. And I've listened to it twice and actually bought the book and annotated as well because it was really good. But that's the one I just listened to. And I'm trying to think which one I just downloaded one. I can't think of what it is. But anyway, the subtle art of not giving up another one. Hopefully we might have to bleep that out if this is a <laughs> audience. And then another one that's just a really good one that I really encourage anyone to listen to, which is minimalism or essentialism. I'm sorry. And it just really starts helping us get to really good sort of philosophical yet applicable book around mindset around stuff. So many of us, since again, I really want to encourage people to be less attached to stuff, therefore less attached maybe to spending on stuff, that it's a great book that can help one really start to prioritize life in a way that's less about stuff and more about love. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Oh, my morning routine. I wake up pretty early, usually somewhere between 5.30 and 6.30. No alarm. I just get up. And then I do my morning coffee. I do my morning just sitting down, really getting my day organized. I'll journal sometimes. I always listen to a podcast in the morning. I'm just really about mindset in the morning. I do it different ways. I know a lot of people are very routined. And I actually used to be very routined and all about productivity and some of these different age-old concepts. But now I'm more about flow. And so I just really get up. It's mostly just feeling grateful and just so happy to be alive and really thinking about my day, taking a look at my calendar, what's on here. Okay, anything I need to prepare for, think about and what's really calling me at the moment. But it's just a really good feel good time in the morning. is, And then I start my day, you know, sometimes sooner than other days, but I just kind of ease into it very positively and intentionally without it being so, oh my God, this first, this second, this third. What is your go-to pump up song? Oh my gosh. I don't know. I'll have to pass on that one. I don't know a lot about songs. And so one of my favorite songs is, is or artists is Moby. And there's just, again, it's just very reflective and he's got just really upbeat lyrics and then some that aren't so much. And so anyway, I'd go to Moby. What are you not very good at? Most things. <laughs> I'm a terrible cook. I'm bad at most things. And that's really even a little bit of a, my, of a life mantra is, is be really good at what you're good at and let everybody else be really good at what they're good at. So I, I employ a lot of great help. I have a lot of great people and really don't care about the things that I'm not good at. And I'm totally good being average at best in most things in my life and want to excel in the few things I really care about, which is, you know, teaching people about money and life and just different applicable practices that we can do to live life better. And as we get everything wrapped up here, Christina, what is one place online where we will be able to find you the most? 
The easiest place, again, if anybody wants a free copy of my book, just go to fallingformoney.com and download it. So that's where I encourage everybody to start and let me know what you think. And to find about me personally, it's just my name. Everything about me is you can find on my website, which is Christina, K-R-I-S-S-T-I-N-A.com, K-N-2-S-S, Christina.com. Perfect. Perfect. So to find out more about Christina, head over to Christina.com or get her book. Man, there's so much content that she gave here today in a 30, 45 minute segment. So I'm excited to dive into it myself to see what else is going to be in there. So Christina, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I had a blast chatting with you. Me too. Thank you so much, Travis. That's all for this episode of Build Your Network. Your next step is to visit byn.media slash FB to join in on our Facebook group for more personal engagement, proven strategies and tactics to reach your ultimate goals. That's byn.media forward slash FB. Remember, you're only one connection away. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.